Alright everybody, welcome to a new episode of Blithering Blatherings, where I usually have a conversation with a guest every week, but unfortunately this week not, because I've been overrun with work and haven't messaged anybody if they'd like to come on for an episode, but that's fine. And also, I'm the host, Jose Velas. And yeah, welcome, welcome to an episode, a solo episode, the the second one of the podcast, which is pretty good, just consistency until this episode, but I'll, I'll have an, an, a guest by next week, I'll definitely make sure of that, but yeah, man, so how's... How's the this week, man? The first week of of November. October went by, and it, I can't think if November went by too fast or too slow, or both. Maybe it's because as soon as November started, everyone was already like warming up, warming themselves up for what was coming, which is God. The election news, the election coverage coverage has been insane because, man, since I, I heard that supposedly, like, I'm, I'm going to give my thoughts on, on the election. I may not be old, may have been old enough to vote on, in this one, but I'm, I'm still going to give my thoughts because, God, it's crazy how how unique this election is. In many ways, many ways. But yeah, since since Tuesday at the time of recording this, which was November third, news started immediately after of, of uh, the election, and you know, news uh, sources had their maps red and blue and everything, and like. <laughs> the first, the first day, and maybe second day too. But the first day for sure. All I could think of, all I could hear, was Florida, 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 Florida. It's too close to call. It's too close to call. And just hearing that, it reminded me of hearing another podcast. Uh, it's CNN Election Two Thousand on uh, a, a service podcast listening service. And it's all, it was honestly interesting to listen to. And I listened to this back in like May, April, maybe March. It was a thing for, for U.S. history uh, that some, some of um, my classmates, some of y'all, either probably listened to or just read the, the details of it or transcript or something. But honestly, it was really interesting to listen to because... I'll basically give a history lesson here about the 2000 election, which happened 20 years before this election, which happened before I was even born. But I know, I know, I know a certain amount of of what happened to to an extent of this in in the 2000 election, because it was a it was a unique election because it was. 
like people have been saying, or some people have said about this election, 2020 election, is that there will probably be weeks or at least days before we actually get a, an, a winner. Because uh, there's different types of votes that were turned in and everything. And in the 2000 election, where it was Bush v. Gore, uh, Bush Republican and Al Gore de uh, Democrat. Uh, in that election, it was... How should I say this? It was an extremely tight race. Because from what I listened to in in the podcast, it seemed that both of them were tied. They just needed one state left, and that one state was Florida. And Florida was still counting their votes uh, at the night of election, and then I believe days later. And then news sources kept saying it's, too close to call. This is this person the winner, the winner, and then this other person is, and then uh, it's too close to call again, and it just kept going back and forth between Bush too close and then uh, Al Gore until eventually, uh, at some point, it seemed that Bush won, and then uh, Al Gore conceded, which is basically uh, uh end the race so that way or not not in the race there's a specific word for this but I can't think of it right in the moment but end the race so that way Bush could win uh, the uh, president elect but then immediately after uh, what happened was yes but what, uh, what happened was that then it came back to too close to call and then that Al Gore won because Al Gore had already conceded to Bush, then it, it was basically Bush was the winner, which then caused a ton of drama afterwards, which caused Dimple Chad, Hanging Chads, and all the other Chad stuff about paper ballots, which is why it was such a hard thing to count in Florida, I suppose, I believe. Again, this is just information that I can remember from five months back. And... One of the crazy, one of the most interesting things about that is how, like, in that podcast that I listened to, I could always, uh, they always said Florida was too close and they had to recall and then something, something, whatever. And then once the whole conceded th conceding thing happened, uh, they asked for a recount in 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 four counties in Florida. Because that those were the ones where they didn't get to turn in all of the the votes in, and basically, uh, they tried to go all the way, and then I don't remember if it was Bush said that this wasn't allowed or uh, they didn't have enough time to do it. That Al Gore then said this, but then they went to the Supreme Court and then tried to uh, fight for this because it was it was honestly interesting listening to because. In the podcast, and if you really like search it up on like history, uh, history.com and stuff, you'll see that this election, which 
I wouldn't say usually are one day. I don't even know now, considering th this year's. And I can't even remember last year's. But this election, to just see who won, went on for months until like really early December, where then the Supreme Court said, uh, these, these votes don't count and Bush won, which then led Bush to win. Which then, like, so it was really interesting to hear about how this whole thing started with, like, the voting not being quite right in everything. Or not the voting, the uh, the amount of votes that went into uh, the election, they weren't counted right, or there were some missing out and everything. And now, like, I don't know about... Some of y'all, CNN, y'all probably see the news about this on CNN and stuff. I watch it on NBS, on B NBS, NBC. And on that one, they're always saying how they won't call a state for an, uh, uh, what do you call them? For either of the candidates, they're real candidates. But they won't call a state until it's basically 99.5% all the votes are in. And even then, this election, un unlike the 2001 that I was talking about, there's a lot of states that are too close to call. Because Georgia is becoming too close to call, at, at, at the mo and and Pennsylvania is too close to call at the, mo at the time of recording this, uh, November 6th. And hearing all the news about how... how um, in this election, because even in government, uh, uh, like last week, uh, there was a question that they asked about, like, uh, what did they say about why Trump will be leading in the, in, in election night? It was because, uh, in day votes or face-to-face -face votes were counted first, and that. Then whenever the news people said stuff about a red mirage, that was like, oh, that's what they, they were talking about. That's why this happened. It, it was a weird connection of things. And I, I really like that. It, maybe not this election per se, that I'm glad that there's a connection. But at the same time, it's nice finally having something that I learned at some point. Finally, somehow go back to a thing that's happening right now. And maybe that only happens with like history and stuff because uh the old saying or sayings history always repeats itself or history doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes or whatever. And like you can see how this thing is kind of similar but not quite to the the thing that's happening right now or that happened a uh, years ago. And hearing all this too close to call and recounts and all that, it just triggered that memory of this is maybe not quite exactly, but it's similar to an extent of how the 2000 election happened. So, yeah, that's and got man, this close, this close to finishing this. I'm gonna say th this won't end until probably Thanksgiving at most. And that's being light on, on that.
because, like I said, the 2000 election went into like late December. But hopefully this ends n not in December, just because, like the tensions high throughout the whole whole both sides and everything, and it just we need to figure out whether or not things will be going back to normal or whether or not we'll still have the same president and things won't change at all. But yeah, that's my election thoughts. It's at the moment I believe it's like two uh, Biden two fifty and Trump uh, two thirteen or fourteen or something, depending on this on the news coverage and if they called a state or anything. But yeah, man, that that that's my little TED talk, I suppose. <laughs> History lesson of um, well, you know. Just the connection between uh, the 2000 election and the 2020 election. And how they're both somewhat similar. And yeah. But God. I've, I've been constantly switching to uh, the TV. Like TV channels or satellite channels or whatever I have. Uh, constantly to that NBC uh, channel here. Uh, that I that I have available because God, it's just uh, la last year election, last uh, presidential election. I really didn't like look into the data and everything because it just didn't. At the moment, it wasn't really in my category of priorities. But this election, it's definitely been like, this is is definitely one of the important things I need to be looking at constantly, for better or worse, honestly. But yeah, God. This, this week, oof, oof, oof. Yeah. Those are my thoughts about the election. And I just wanted to get them right off the bat so that way, you know, people hear about this. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they they listen through this and and hear the comparison. I probably didn't explain it well enough, but it's basically to to summarize what I said. But the twenty twenty and two thousand election have states that are really close to call. Uh, they're too close to call. I mean, and then because they're too close to call, uh, there's going to be asking for recounts. And then also possibly going to the Supreme Court for certain uh, to figure out who won, which happened, which is implied that will happen in this election, this year's election, and also that would happen uh, that that happened in uh, the 2000 election with Florida and where those counts, those votes counted. But yeah, that's that's just to summarize that. Uh, now, now talking to something a little more, a little more, uh, what's the word? Just not political, I suppose. But, uh, to, to delve into, um, a series that I've been into. I talked about this, like, two episodes ago in the, the Karen, uh, episode, the building ourselves up, 
I think was the title, I believe. This episode like it, it it wasn't that long. It was like the episode right before last episode. Um, I I'll be talking about the the series um, Percy Jackson, the Rick Riordan series, because I I read the last week, I read through basically all all of the books in like a week or so. Because and like I really pushed myself to do that too. Because I was like, if I'm eating, I'm a read, just take advantage of it. It was, it was a nice way to, um, to get myself back into reading, even if only two of the books were actual books and the other two were e-books uh, that I had, uh, for that I was reading on on this on the computer. But either way, it was a nice way to just jump back into reading, and a classic favorite, and. I'm just gonna. This is gonna be your spoiler warning right here, at the moment right here. Also, sorry if my voice has been monotone. I, hmm, it's probably. Maybe I've grown confident, perhaps. But I don't know. I feel from I'm not listening to it right now while I'm recording this, but just from the way I'm talking right now, my vo my voice sounds a tiny bit monotone. And it's also probably because I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just talking to the air here. But anyway, this is your spoiler warning for the Percy Jackson series. And, you know, all the things that happened in them. And also just my thoughts and like how... And, and not just the Percy Jackson, the first five book series, uh, Lightning Thief, The Last Olympian. But also a bit of the Heroes of Olympus series, minimum. Uh, Trials of Apollo, I have not delved much into that. Just two books in. And even then, I read those, like, years ago. But like I said, spoilers for the first uh, five books of the series and then the next five books of the series. But yeah. God. The, fir the first book. Percy Jackson. And The Lightning Thief. The Lightning Thief. Specific. It's something that has to do with Lightning Thief. But uh, it's still crazy that Riordan wrote this book in 2005 and has basically written a book every year since and probably two books in some years considering that like right now if you count what he classifies as the camp half-blood chronicles they're the first two the first five books the next five books and then the other the third five books so there's 15 books, which is basically a book of that series every year. And then he also has the King Chronicle series. And he also has spin-off series that are like, not not spin-off per se, but like, it's like how some uh, shows had like little shorts uh, for commercials. A bit like that to just... I'll go more into it, but it's kind of a way to like enhance the depth into the world and how stuff happens, even that stuff happens outside of the the realm of the the book that is in there. But basically, and and, and the King Chronicles, the mini series books, and then the Magnus Chase books, which take place, 
in the Cam Havlock Chronicles timeline. I'm not 100 percent sure on the on the King Chronicles though. It's implied, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. But either way, uh, the first book came out in 2005, and I don't know if it was a straight number one bookseller, but it was basically pretty. It it was popular enough to get a ser uh, 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 sequel right after, so it must have been pretty close to it. And basically, for for those who are listening to this. Uh, and don't know what I'm talking about, what this series is about. It's basically... <laughs> to to put it in, in a context that hopefully most people will understand. It's Harry Potter, but without the magic and stuff. It's Harry Potter, but instead of magic and wizards and all that, uh, you're introduced to the world of... Greek gods and mythology and other mythologies soon after. <laughs> oh god. Still can't believe he went through like Norse, Egyptian, Roman, which is it's not exactly the same as Greek, but it's close enough. He he talks about it in the, the second series which delves more into the Roman one Roman side of that. But the series is based in a world where the Greek myths and gods are real. And basically, uh, Percy Jackson, the main uh, character, the main protagonist of the series, uh, he is a, I wouldn't say he's a troubled kid, I don't think that's the right word, but he's a kid that, for some reason... He just can't get a break, <laughs> to put it lightly, because he's always kicked out of a school, or something happens that he has to go to another school every year, and basically, at some point, he's introduced to the world of uh, that there are Greek gods and everything, uh, because he's introduced to it, he's uh, being hunted down because he supposedly stole... Uh, Seuss's lightning master bolt, master lightning bolt, and uh, then he's he goes to a camp. This this takes place. This takes place in New York. He goes to a camp called Camp Half Blood, uh, where other Greek demigods uh, like him. With demigod in the sense that he is half mortal and half god, just like other heroes in Greek mythology who were uh, a son of a god and then also uh, a mortal. And he goes to Camp Half-Blood where he hangs out with other demigods to uh, train for whenever monsters attack them in the real world, like in school or some other extent, whenever they're not uh, expecting it, basically. To train to survive, in a sense. And this is the first book. And like I said, he was accused of stealing something from the god of gods. Uh, to According to Greek mythology. Uh, so he, go, he goes to... A, I'm just going to introduce the, the first 
I'll try to see if I can introduce all the other ones. Uh, if I can summarize more or less the other five books. Because I kind of want to talk about this in the sense that most people at least know what I'm talking about. And know that who who these characters are. Because it's really complicated to explain who, like, how, how this then changes throughout the series. But anyways, back to what I was saying. Uh, he he was accused of sinning the lightning bolt, and so he ha- he goes to uh, the oracle, which is basically the the um, a riddle master in a sense. Uh, the oracle is the speaker of prophecies, and slash quest. So uh, he is given the quest to go to face to find this uh, lightning bolt that he was accused of. To find it in uh, Los Angeles, which is basically uh, where the underworld is, makes sense if you really think about it. Los Angeles is already like called something about angels and other stuff, so it makes sense that's where the underworld will go, would be placed in in here. And just just to clarify, since the underworld is over there, Olympus is in the Empire State Building, 600th floor. But, uh, so he goes on this quest, fights monsters, he fought the Minotaur coming into camp, loses his mother. That's one of the reasons that motivates him to go to the underworld. And then, immediately after his quest, he gets attacked by monsters from Hades. He meets the ever-so-charming Medusa and uh, and beats her. Luckily, because there's also, and let me let me let me backtrack a little bit here, because this isn't this isn't a series about just Percy. That's clear throughout the whole series. This is a story about Percy and his group of friends, which includes uh, Grover, which is a satyr, a uh, half a uh, human, half goat, uh, goat legs. Who uh, is friends with Percy before he even knew he was a demigod because he had to take care of him without Percy knowing. And Annabeth, who is, uh, to just put it, she she's the brainiac of the group. the The person who knows this and also kind of uh, the exposition for uh, whenever they see a Greek. Uh, monster she knows what's already going on and basically they go from New York they're heading from New York to Los Angeles this group of 12 year olds it's always hard to believe I don't know why but I think maybe it's because of the withered remarks I always imagine or maybe because I, I'm I went real deep into the the second series in which he's older for He's the same age for the most part, but I always imagine Percy as an older as a teenager. But no, he's he's a he's a preteen here. He's twelve years old, and he with Annabeth and Grover head from New York and were Camp Half Blood in New York uh, to Los Angeles, find monsters like I said, Medusa, uh, and others, and then they also. Then then they finally reach Hades, 
after, of course, some trouble with other big monsters and uh, gods, specifically one god. But they they reach Hades, they go down there. Uh, Hades doesn't have the thunderbolt. Uh, he was betrayed by a friend uh, in in camp, who gave him the thunderbolt just as a as a way to. Oh wait, no, that's the movie version. That's my bad. That's my bad. The no wait. No that. Close, close. It's kind of the same thing. Uh, so, like I said, they 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 uh, meet a god in between going from uh, New York to Los Angeles to Hades. They meet Ares, the god of war, who gives Percy and his friends uh, bags, backpacks. And then when they go into the underworld, it it's shown that Percy... Uh, didn't always have the lightning bolt until uh he until he was given the backpack by Ares. And then so they try to head back, Ares tries to stop them. And then I'm doing such a bad way bad bad way of summarizing this. But basically Ares tries to stop them from bringing back the Thunderbolt to Olympus because they're on a timeline. Which I'll go more into timelines and, or not timelines per se. No, yeah, I guess that's a word, right? Yeah, I suppose. Time limits. So that way it's more clear. But they're in the time limit. I need to get back to Olympus by a certain time. So they're uh, fighting and all that. And then they make sure they head up to Olympus. Uh, Percy meets his father for the first time, uh, Poseidon. And then uh, the the book ends with Percy being poisoned by the friend who he trusted. Uh, and then it's shown that it wasn't just uh, somebody who wanted to steal this power or a god who wanted to steal this power, but rather it was um, Kronos, the, the father of the main three gods, Poseidon, Zeus, and Hades, who wanted to uh, steal this lightning bolt so that way a war can be caused upon in Olympus so that way he can rise to power easier. And basically that's the plot without the, <laughs> the lightning thing. But the plot is basically Percy grows up and each summer, this takes place during the summer, all but one book, take place during the summer where a school lands and Percy heads to Camp Half-Blood where a quest is then uh, shown because where a quest then uh, the plot follows the quest that's given in each book and it's a as a way that you know uh, it's shown God my bad in every book, there is a quest that progresses the plot, and the plot is that Kronos is rising to power, and other stuff happens uh, in between, and everything. So that's the summary for the first book, and that's all I'm gonna summarize, <laughs> just because I want to go into a little bit more detail about like about each book. 
like I said, it's interesting to know already like the beats of the book. Mainly the the first one, I know majority of the beats, and the second one I do too. And one of the one of my favorite things about what Ryordan Rick Rick Ryordan did with the series is that he always calls back to old stuff because in the second series the second book of this series uh he fights a cyclops and then uh he he is cursed upon by this cyclops but because it's usually just you know a phrase like curse you parry the platypus or whatever it it's usually just uh flavor text i suppose but then, in the second series, when stuff happens to Percy, re- bad stuff happens, real bad stuff happens to Percy, uh, this curse you comes into play. And this curse stuff comes into play a lot more with other characters throughout the first series. And, like, um, the first, uh, the first book, it's a, it's, it can be a one-off, but luckily he left it in a cliffhanger, so that way... Uh, there can be sequel bait. Uh, and the sequel's good. It it delves more into the character of Clarice. Or Clarice. No, Clarice. It should be Clarice, right? But into Clarice, which is <laughs> Ares' daughter. And shows how uh, Clarice, even though she's a very uh, bullyish character to Percy, she does have... a. Uh, a sense of, you know, asking for help or just, she doesn't always show what she's really feeling in a sense. Because you get a glimpse of how uh, Ares talks down to uh, Clarice uh, in the quest to, in the quest of the book. And then it goes more into, in the se- in the third book, which takes place in the winter of that summer in the second book I believe that's the timeline I think it takes place right after a new character is introduced and many other characters are introduced after in the third book the, like I'll categorize the series as the first two books will catch will read the first book read the second book if you're really interested and then if you're really, really interested, you're bound to want to read the rest. Because in the third book, it's when it gets extremely serious. And basically, in the third book, uh, the Annabeth, one of the main characters, uh, is kidnapped by Cronus' army. And Percy has to... Percy and others, a group, a group of... Four others, four other demigods, have to head to uh, San Francisco, the Bay Area, to rescue her because that's where the base of operations is for Kronos. And then this one, it it delves a lot into how uh, how Percy just in that one you can really tell that Rick Riordan is pushing for that romantic relationship between uh Annabeth and Percy that it's probably implied in the other two books but it's definitely like 
given a lot of that in this one. Because uh, Percy meets the goddess of love, Aphrodite. Aphrodite, whichever way you pronounce it. And she talks about how she she knows why he's doing it. It's not to fight Cronus, it's to save Annabeth. And then she says how uh, he's going to make his love life uh, full of twists and turns and pain and anguish and all that. Which is, it's very true. <laughs> and I don't like that it's true, knowing that what happened afterwards. And basically, uh, that happens. And then in the... And then I'm going to go into a little midsection that happens, I wouldn't say in between this book and the next book. But uh, like I said, Rick Riordan has the Camp Half-Blood Chronicles, which is a total of 15 books, uh, which delves with Percy and uh, the gods there. And then he also has uh, the Magnus, the other three books that... The other two series that he has, the Magnus Chase and King Chronicles, but then he also has this this book thing where he writes a writes a book about stories that happen in between the 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 summer or that aren't shown in the book uh, because the book is just telling the one story rather than telling what happened throughout the whole summer and. He uses these books, uh, mainly the Demigod Diaries and Demigod Files. Demigod Files for the uh, the first five books. And then Can Demigod Diaries for the next five books. As a way to introduce uh, things that will be uh, shown later. Uh, this, I wouldn't say... The, fir the first story in the Demigod Files, like I said, this is the main series. The first five uh, books. This is the little mini stories uh, book for that series. The first story, it I wouldn't say it, it really does a lot. But it again delves more into Clarice and her character. How she, just because she's a girl and she's been, in a sense, bullied by uh, her brothers, her god brothers, Deimos and Phobos, uh, fear of uh, phobia and the god of phobias and fear. Or panic, panic and phobia, and panic and phobias and fear, or whatever. You can kind of guess that. Uh, but and how like she needs to do something, and then she needs Percy's help, and then she's like, okay, I appreciate your help. Now leave the heck out of here, because she's still <laughs> a bully to Percy. And then the second book. Now, did this book, The Demigod Files, came out? After, in between the fourth and fifth book, and the last book of this series. But it also has things that happen in between others. And uh, the other story here in from the Demigod Files is uh, one that implies a, a, a theme, or not implies a theme, but implies, a, not implies, adds a new. A new type of thing to the series, which is uh, a bronze dragon that has been found by the Hephaestus cabin. Hephaestus cabin. There we go. Hephaestus cabin, which is basically the armor smith uh, god, the god of making uh, creations and 
and stuff. And honestly, let me just say, I do like how uh, he... I'll, I'll go more into Hephaestus later, maybe. But uh, it, in that uh, little story that's in the Demigod Files about uh, the Bronze Dragon, you learn more about uh, a camper from Camp Half-Blood, Beckendorf, uh, Charlie Beckendorf, son of Hephaestus, and how he, you know, how he uh, acts with Percy, how his, how what his character is like, because he, I, be, I feel like he is introduced more in the fourth book. So, even though this happened after the fourth book, if you read this before you read the four, before you read uh, that one, you'll 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 learn more about. Uh, him and and how he acts, and also, uh, it in this bronze dragon book you can also see how the relationship between Annabeth and Percy and also Beckenorf and and his uh crush um C- Selina Burgard, hopefully I said that right, and how they act and everything. Okay, and now I'm gonna talk about the fourth book, which is honestly my favorite. Uh, book of the series and just so I, I say instead of saying the names or just saying the fourth book and all that I'm going to say the names of the book again first book Lightning Thief second Sea of Monsters third uh, Titan's Curse fourth Battle of the Labyrinth and then f- fifth uh, Last Olympian and when when I'm talking about the fourth book uh, Battle of the Labyrinth I don't know why, but I feel like I like this one a lot more than I do the rest. Out of all of this, the whole series, Battle of the Labyrinth is one of my favorites. And maybe it has to do <laughs> with the fact that I read this one first. I definitely read this one. This was one of my first, and I did not read the first book in the series. I did not read The Lightning Tip. I read at least Battle of the Labyrinth first. But... I read Battle of the Labyrinth in 4th grade, but I don't know if it's maybe the writing or the story that that's told throughout the 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 book, but you can automatically tell like how uh the relationship between every character. Because uh in in Titan's Curse, the third book, you like I said before how Riordan uh, has lots of callbacks to stuff that happened in his other series in in the Percy, in Percy Jackson the Olympia series in his second series the Heroes of Olympia series in the fourth book he kind of does a callback but more of a this character is important because in the in Titan's Curse the third book you see a a, a girl. Or you're introduced to a girl, Rachel Elizabeth Dare, initials red, and also has red hair. I just like that little fact. I'm just going to add that there. But you meet Rachel Elizabeth Dare, who can see through the mist, which is basically what uh, makes the regular people not see monsters and gods and all that. So that way they're just living their normal life. But this mortal girl, who isn't a demigod at all, uh, she can see through the mist easily. 
And she's introduced once in the Titan's Curse, and then that's really it. You, you, and then you, the book goes on. But then, immediately in Battle of the Labyrinth, the, the, the book right after, you, you, you're given a description of... Uh, Percy gives a description of seeing a girl with red hair and other stuff. And he's like, oh crap, that's the same girl. Why is this happening to me? And then uh, chaos ensues. Uh, Percy tells Rachel that there are Greek gods, and she's like, "I knew it." And he's kind of confused as to why he she says that. And then uh, after the chaos ensues, you see uh, supposedly Percy and Annabeth were gonna go on the movie, going going to the movies. And because chaos ensues and because Rachel is kind of uh, a part of the chaos that ensued, uh, Percy meets Annabeth, introduces her to Rachel, and then you can immediately tell by the way that Percy... Uh, Percy... <laughs> Percy is telling the story in a sense, but the way Rick writes the book, how Annabeth reacts the relationship that's between that's forming uh over the years between Annabeth and Percy and how Rachel is kind of a uh why is this happening I'm mad at per at you uh, uh, Annabeth is mad at Percy because of uh because he's hanging out with another girl I guess in a sense and then this goes on throughout this relationship between Percy and Annabeth grows uh <laughs> they kiss in a uh, be careful, stupid sense where Percy was going to kind of sacrifice his own, himself in a way. Which then pushes Percy to an island. Uh, Ogigia, I think that's how it was pr pronounced. Ogigia. Where he meets Calypso. Now Calypso. God, I want to talk about... I'm, I'm going to delve into Calypso for a good bit. And Train, please don't do this. But I'm going to talk about Calypso for a good bit. Because the thing about Calypso is when she's introduced in this book, she is like a very mystical person. A, very, a person who's always looking to help and knows that even though she's helping a, a, a man, because it's always a man, even though she's helping uh, this hero, she won't be able to be with this hero because... Uh, as the, as she puts it, the gods always send a hero that she can't help but fall in love with, but can never stay with uh, stay with that hero because the hero always has to leave. Ultimately, saying, "Here's a crush you're never gonna have," so, and that's it. And I just love how it's it, it's a completely stark difference with how. Calypso is introduced and how she talks with Percy and then in the second series the Heroes of Olympus series when Leo gets thrown off uh, Argo 2 uh, a character from that series is thrown off uh, thrown into the same island Calypso is done she does not want anything to deal with this new person who arrived at this island because she already knows what's going to happen and she doesn't want to deal with it and like it's one of my favorite 
favorite things about like, cause I already know that Calypso, and going back to read this Calypso, we uh, from like years ago. Is really, really interesting. Because, sorry about that. I had to go on a bit of uh, do something else. But I think I was talking about Calypso and her character. But yeah, her character. When she's introduced in Battle of the Labyrinth, it's a lot more calm and more majestic and very godlike. Or, you know, in the way the gods act in the Percy Jackson books. But then when she's, she's reintroduced in the second one, it's very... How should you say this? But... She's very not like that. She's now she's more brash. She she's sick of this thing happening to her a lot. And I like that that's a that's a thing that got uh wrapped up nicely or as nicely as it can be with these characters cuz stuff happens to them and it's not nice. But yeah, it's a very nice uh, way to wrap her storyline up because it was very open-ended in whether or not Percy would do anything about her her character especially since he promised something and yet he never never kept that promise or he never followed through he instead of asking the gods to to get her off the island she did and rather you know Leo, the character Leo, uh, he went back and made sure, made sure he was the one. He was the one who took, uh, took the lead into that. I'll probably go more into the second series later, but yeah. And then, since I'm on the topic of, of characters... I'm going to talk about another character, which I wouldn't say is different in this series than it is in the other one. But Nico, Nico D'Angelo, the, the son of Hades, the king of ghosts, as, it, as he puts it in, in, in Battle of the Labyrinth. He, maybe because... Rick Riordan's initial writing of Nico wasn't to make him uh, make him a representation of of being gay, but the way he's written in this first series, may maybe it's because I'm trying to look at hints of this, and like there's possible hints because there's times whenever Nico doesn't look at Percy and that could kind of be like you know trying not to look at, at the person you like or whatever but then most of the things that's, that influences him is a lot of revenge and ju or just trying to get back what he had also he's 10 in this series so yeah but yeah 
maybe, like you said, it's possible that it's because in his initial writing of Nico, now his intention wasn't for him to come out in the books until the second series in which he he used, you know, a, a very unopened character, per, I, I suppose, to, you know, implement some sort of representation, which is good. But at the same time, no hints clearly seen in the first uh, series that I could catch. Perhaps somebody else could catch them. But he's also a character that, like I said, he's fueled by wanting his sister back, who passed away in the previous book, Silence Curse. And got that Bianca death. Bianca seemed like she'd be a fun character in Silence Curse. Like, honestly, I'm wanting more of her character. And we kind of, I, you kind of get that in the sec, in this, this, the book after the Battle Labyrinth. Because she appears as a ghost and tries to lead Nico the right way and helps Percy to make sure that Nico stays safe and all that. But yeah. Yeah, Bianca, she's a, she's a nice character. Very heroic one. But, uh... And then comes the last Olympian. Ah. Yes. The final book of the first five series... The first book series, in which Percy, n- knowing of this great prophecy that involves him, finally learns of it, and then he tries to, f- and then he, well, okay, actually, forget that I mentioned the last Olympian. Let me talk about, like I said, there's the demigod files, little mini stories thing about Percy. In this story, he mentions there's the there's the story of the Sword of Hades, which is a weapon that Hades didn't create, but rather his wife Persephone created. So that way he's more leveled with the gods and more prepared when Cronus's army, which is basically in max power in the in this book. Uh tries to fight and in this in that mini story the sword of hades you were also introduced to the apatis the apatis which is basically uh, a a titan that comes back in the next uh next book series in a very nice nice way. And honestly, one of the things I like about the series is that like if you read the little mini stories that happened in between the main books, you could really find out stuff about the next series or not be confused about why there's this Bob here that's helping Percy and who supposedly he fought even though you don't remember. But yeah, it's a nice way of, you know, 
showing that if you're really true fans of the series, you won't get too lost because you already know all the little in-between parts. But like I said, you're introduced to uh, Iapetus. And then also, let me just add this, at the end of the the fourth book, uh, Battle of the Labyrinth, Nico, who has was usually very antagonistic to Percy, or just did not want to talk with Percy, he tells Percy, there could be a chance that you could uh, be as powerful as his enemy his enemy but then like I like how that's introduced at the end of the the fourth book and then it's brought back up in this little mini story because it happens in between the fourth book and the fifth book in the winter of and then comes the like I said battle of the uh, not battle the last Olympian in which Percy Percy really goes through stuff. This this whole Battle of the Labyrinth is a very interesting story because in the first one you see Percy as not very he he's a cocky kid. But yet for some reason but then throughout the first parts of the last Olympian you then see him in a way tra- find, uh, have a transformation that makes him be a key leader in like fighting the army of Kronos which is trying to invade Manhattan because it's New York and everything tries to invade Manhattan just like the Avengers and Thanos and all the other stuff but that, like I said, Cronus' army is trying to invade it, and Percy takes up the form, uh, not the form, the role of being a leader. And you can really see how he takes charge through a lot of the the story, because unlike the other books, the Last Olympian takes place mostly in the streets of Manhattan, it's in one general location. And like, even if you don't know New York's New York, you can at least imagine how, how it is and everything. And that's honestly a very change of pace for how the series has usually been. Because the series has usually been, uh, you start at Camp Half-Blood or somewhere, and then you have to go to a location. <laughs> and then you have to do that in, by a certain time frame. Because if you don't, basically you you lost. And in this one, there is a sense of... There isn't a time frame per se. But there is that sense of urgency. And it's it's really crazy how a lot of not a lot of a lot of the characters are brought back up but how much in depth it went into talking about uh the villain because yes Kronos is the villain the titan Kronos is the a titan and he's the villain but he's also not technically the villain 
and there's a lot to say about the end of of the series because like at the end it turned out that Percy wasn't going to be the the hero of the prophecy <laughs> ironically all re the prophecy really said was that he was going to make it to 16 that's what eventually happened but he wasn't the hero of it truly and that's honestly an interesting take that that he that Rowardin took because throughout the whole series, I'm just going to say his name. Luke is shown as being evil, as being corrupt, as showing no mercy except to like Annabeth. And that's it. But yet in the last series, you see a lot of the things that happened to him. What his dad saw uh, that happened that then showed a, a rift in between them. And it's an it's a clear rift, and it can be explained. It's it's shown why, and then also there's the relationship between uh, Rachel and Percy and Annabeth, which then delves more into, <laughs> which that that little love triangle, but not a really love triangle, is delved more into. It's a very nice wrap up the series. <laughs> The only problem is, of course, is that, well, uh, the Oracle is replaced. It's the Oracle, if you, if you remember from mentioning it back all the way, the thing to assess prophecies. And in the book, it's usually a mummy until this book in The Last Olympian, where you learn that the Oracle is, it's a spirit that, goes from uh, person to person uh, in generations in the human uh, in mortals uh, and unfortunately the oracle was cursed so that way that could never happen and it, it's a lot more into the story and it's honestly a really nice way to or to solve that little mystery because I don't remember if it's the fourth book or the or the last the no it's it's that book the last Olympian in which Percy says like why why is it a mummy and then uh, it kind of explains it in a way that isn't really explain explicitly explaining it but eventually the curse from the oracle is lifted and the spirit now goes into Rachel and she others. Uh, like five lines, I think it was, and the which is the next great prophecy. <laughs> oh god! And I'm just gonna say the the lines because I know this these lines so much. I don't know why, but the the next great prophecy, the one after <laughs> the one that just ended, it's seven half lots, half lots. Half bloods, seven half bloods shall answer the call. To storm or fire, the world must fall. A note to keep. A note to keep with, with dying breath, and foes bear arm to the doors of death. And God, maybe it was because I already read the second series, and I know. And the second series, is about that. About that prophecy. I just like 
knowing what every single line means in there. I know uh, who the seven haplets are. I know what storm or fire means, and why the earth must fall to to it to one or the other. Uh, I know why. Uh, a, a note is kept with a final breath, uh, and then I know why <laughs> or how. Uh, foes bear arm to the doors of death and like I think in between like I said he wrote 15 books in 15 years but he also wrote two books or more in a year and I'm pretty sure in between the Percy Jackson series he was writing the Kane Chronicles and from just the peak I saw the Kane Chronicles was kind of his like test of how this story, how his next format of the series will look like. Because I haven't mentioned it, but maybe it's a little bit implied, but the Percy, the first series of the Percy Jackson is a first person. It's I did this in the, you're in the eyes of Percy. But the second series, since it, like I said, it's about the next great prophecy, it is seven halflets. It's seven people, and more. Honestly, if when you get later into into that series, it's seven people that really gotta focus or not focus, but that he really wants you know character for. Then wants people to uh, figure out uh, what their deal is, what their story is, and I do like that, especially because. Each character in, in that series is so unique. They own they each have their own struggles and they each have their own backstory that you can relate to. And then yeah, that's my little TED talk of the Percy Jackson and the Olympiads series. Which is the first series. Of the whole Camp Half-Blood Chronicles series. Oh god. But man. It, hopefully some of y'all kept up with what I was saying. Hopefully some of y'all who read the books can also keep up and weren't too confused uh, with what I, what I was saying. But I do hope that some of y'all listen to this and th- those who read the book, some of y'all listen to this and like uh, understood what I meant if you read it further uh, into the series, into the second uh, book series. Because I really like the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series and the whole Camp Havlet Chronicles. And it's it really grows in world building or not world building but character building and which which can be classified as world building I suppose in the third book Titan's Curse first book is like okay this happens and okay there's a threat at the end second book that threat comes back and does some things and okay this happens third book that threat is a lot bigger than it, than it was beforehand and now is basically threatening the whole world rather than just the one thing. 
and you can really see how over time the thread grows and also the relationships grow and how everything comes back at the end and it's just interesting uh, the whole series that's also interesting maybe I was just looking too deep into the, the, the series but it mentions a lot about how like a, a a kid feels about their their parents when they're not there in the, because I don't know if it's maybe just because that's kind of what the the series has with uh most of the characters having parents their parents being gods which makes them like not care about their kids until they're like needed but you know, like there's a lot of moments where Percy's always like, "I wish my dad uh, recognized me more," or like there's a lot of moments where the the kid and the parent are like arguing, or they have thoughts about their parents that you know are, are unusual in a sense. But yeah, those are my my final thoughts. For this whole thing. Again, hopefully some of y'all could kind of get what I was saying. Mainly for those who read the series already. Because it's, it'd be definitely hard to keep up or understand what I'm saying. If you don't know who Rachel, Nico, and all these other characters are. But yeah. Until next time. Bye.